We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Candlestick Chronicles. It is the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me, it's Kyle Madsen of Niners Wire of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Kyle, you went on a hot date tonight before recording this podcast. How did that go? It was great. Got some salad. Got a <laughs> buffalo chicken sandwich. There was a cookie involved. It was fantastic. It was a really, really really fine dinner i'm going away from the weekend so the girlfriend and i went out to dinner and hung out it was fun that's awesome i ate chick-fil-a and i actually ran into a 49ers player at chick-fil-a right by the uh right by levi stadium down there but i learned something even more exciting than that today kyle like yeah the new punter mitch wishnowski who is a fellow santa barbara city college of vaquero uh, alum we actually lived in the same apartment complex at different times um so I'm sure that's really exciting for everybody listening. I thought that was exciting. So Mitch and I talked about Santa Barbara a little bit today. If you've been to Santa Barbara, beautiful place. Highly recommend it. Um, I can't afford to live there, but uh, that's neither here or there. So we we got to meet. Hey, hey we're gonna we're gonna have to shut this podcast down because I need to blog this right away. <laughs> okay, why don't you do that first. while I talk about rookie minicamp? <laughs> um, now, so so the Niners introduced a few of their rookies today. We got to talk to, uh, I think, five or six of them. Uh, we got to speak with Dre Greenlaw, um, Jalen Hurd, Debo Samuel, Mitch Wishnowski, and Tim Harris. And so tomorrow, 
uh, we're recording this Thursday night. Tomorrow on Friday, the 49ers kick off the rookie minicamp, and it's essentially the first time all their draftees and undrafted free agents will put the pads on and, and sort of get their feet wet uh, with how the 49ers are going to practice. There's also going to be a slew of tryout players, <clears throat> and usually – the Niners will bring in maybe one or two of those guys onto the 90-man roster. I don't know if there's been a player that they've tried out recently, at least no one's coming to mind, that actually made the 53-man roster. But sometimes a team will add players to to the back end of, of the 90-man roster to compete for a spot, maybe on the practice squad at some point. But um, first, before uh, we get into so, some some content that, that Kyle came up with, um, we're going to talk about what what we learned from in the introduction of those rookies. And Nick Bosa did not talk today, but uh, I think we got to start with Dre Greenlaw. And and this isn't really football related, but we learned a lot about Dre today. Um, really interesting guy. He grew up an orphan. He was just bouncing around the uh, the foster care system in Arkansas, basically throughout childhood, and then he didn't really. Um, latch on to a family until um, until I think he was 16 and he was he was recently or I guess fully adopted by by now his parents uh, less than a year ago when he was 21 so wow um, really interesting guy really interesting background uh, I, I wrote a little bit about it today and obviously there was that um, that story that came up right after he was drafted on Twitter uh, where you know as a freshman so he went to a party as a freshman and he was a little hesitant about being there. And because, you know, he had just joined Ar- the Arkansas football program, um, the the coach talked to them about, you know, don't don't get in any trouble at parties or else, you know, we're going to kick you off the team, that type of stuff. He goes to a party. He sees a girl he knew from high school. Uh, she tells him he's she's feeling weird and that she thinks somebody might have put something in her drink. Uh, so then time goes along and then he sees like he sees a guy try to pull this girl away from the dance floor sort of aggressively. Uh, Dre goes over, grabs a girl, essentially saves her potentially from getting sexually assaulted. Um, and so it's it's just sort of this whole crazy thing. And he didn't really know what to do at first because, you know, he's not trying to fight somebody. And then um, obviously get kicked off the football team, but he wants to do the right thing. Um, we, we wrote about it, uh, or at least the Sacramento Bee wrote about it. We wrote about it today. Um, there are stories, I, I think a bunch of the beat writers wrote about that. But I think it sort of speaks to that, that Greenlaw is, is quickly, probably more than any rookie I can remember um, in, in the last few years at least, like quickly endearing himself to, to the public and probably one of the favorite um, just overall people and, and personalities that, that we've gotten to know in the, in the earliest stages of their careers. So uh, it seems like from, from a character standpoint, Drake Greenlaw sort of checks all the boxes. He also said, uh, getting back to football, that you know he ran a 4.73 at the combine, uh, which was slow and one of the reasons why he lasted till the fifth round. He said he was dealing with a hamstring injury, and he actually said, according to the GPS tracking data that they have at Arkansas that he actually was clocked at 22 miles an hour uh, wow. at one point during the season, which is really fast. That's I think moving. I think Matt Breida uh, posted one of the fastest times in the league last year, like 20 or 21 miles an hour. I think it was a run in Tampa Bay late in the year. Um, so I don't think we should be concerned about Dre Greenlaw. And we're going to talk about his chances to start a little bit later. 
but just a really impressive dude. And um, and in terms of a late round pick, somebody that that I think we should all keep an eye on, just, you know, probably not going to start right away unless there are some injuries or, or Quan Alexander doesn't doesn't get healthy. But um, but definitely an interesting dude when you talk about a four year starter, a team captain at Arkansas and somebody who's overcome a lot, uh, it, you know, in childhood and now, you know, proving that that he can make, you know, I know being at a party and and, you know, helping a girl find her friends. And she actually went to the hospital. She did get roofied. She went to the hospital. She got her stomach pumped. Everything was fine. And the girl actually ended up calling, calling Greenlaw after he was drafted and congratulating him and thanking him again. It was just a really cool story. So go read about that if, if you get the chance. You talk about high character guys when it comes to the draft. And Dre Greenlaw is the prototype for that. He just seems like one of those people that you just want to succeed. Totally. Like I know as a beat writer, you're not supposed to root for the team or root for players and stuff like that. But I feel like on a personal level, it's impossible to not want to see that guy do great things in the NFL. Totally. And he's going to have an opportunity. Like really the only guy right now, I know they just gave Quan Alexander a bunch of money, but he's coming back from that ACL tear. Like, there is a really good chance that Greenlaw can carve out some playing time. We see it all the time. Like, We should talk about that. We will. We will. <laughs> After we break down the, the first impressions from, uh, from rookie minicamp today. So the second guy we spoke with was Debo Samuel. He flew in this morning from South Carolina. Uh, we didn't really learn much new about Debo. It was just sort of a, the first time we got to speak with him face-to-face since the combine. I actually talked to him there. Um, he said, at, you know, he clicked with Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch right away at the Senior Bowl back in January in Mobile, and and that was really early in the process. And he said, even then, you know, he he played for he he played for the South team, which the 49ers coach, and he had a really good, really good week of practice and played well in the game. Separated, did all the things that Kyle Shanahan likes from his receivers. Was really good in red zone drills. Uh, getting away from cornerbacks. I think there's a um, Sam Monson of, of Pro Football Focus tweeted out a video today of him uh, going against Rocky Sin, and it was a really even matchup. So, um, I mean, I, I think Debo was was a good pick and and could be really good, particularly in Kyle Shanahan's offense. And it was it was just interesting today to hear him say like, "I'm willing to do kickoffs. I want to do kickoffs." He's going to like volunteer himself to return kickoffs, even if he is starting. Uh, I don't think Kyle Shanahan is going to let him do that, but um, it just sort of speaks to the the competitiveness and the toughness that he has because, you know, s- other receivers say like Michael Crabtree or, you know, somebody who was highly drafted previously is probably not going to be the type that says I want to return kickoffs. So um, I think that's one of the things that, that the 49ers really like about Samuel. And he is, a lot of people talk about like a thick bodied receiver. He is definitely that, like he has tree trunks for legs and is just looks like a, you know, really, really sturdy dude. Um, and he's also fast and, and quick and things like that. So I'm, I'm very curious to see how things shake out with Debo Samuel and whether or not he really like grabs hold of that starting Z receiver spot early on. Or uh, if it's going to be sort of a an ease into that role, and and it's still you know going to be Kendrick Bourne early in the season, or or just how that all unfolds is going to be pretty interesting to me. Just for reference, Debo Samuel returned forty two kicks during his time at South Carolina in two thousand seventeen. He returned just two kicks and housed both of them. 
That's good. That's a good ratio. That's a good, per- that's a good percentage. So I'm wondering if maybe we see him return kicks in some situations if he if he proves to be adept at that at the NFL level. Yeah, like you need something late in the game. Yeah, just you're just, down you're down by six points or something. That would yeah. make sense. I could see it. He scored touchdowns five different ways in college. He had uh I think off the top of my head, sixteen receiving touchdowns. He had thirty touchdowns total, sixteen receiving um i forget how many but he had a few rushing touchdowns he seven few, rushing touchdowns seven rushing touchdowns uh a few return touchdowns and a fumble return touchdown uh somehow i gotta assume that's on special teams returns and, and two pa- return. i think he had two pass passing touchdowns so passing touchdowns if they sour on jimmy garoppolo maybe debo samuel's gonna be the next nick mullins Two completions in his career for 46 yards and two touchdowns. Good knowledge. Good ratio. Uh, So that's Debo Samuel. Um, Kick returner, quarterback extraordinaire. Yep. Debo Samuel. We also got to talk with Jalen Hurd today, who is um, an interesting character. He is very sure of himself, uh, extremely confident, not, not the most modest guy which is fine he's a football player he's a playmaker that's i guess that's what you want out of a guy like that he basically said um there's no limit to what i can be in kyle shanahan's offense which is interesting um because i mean if we don't know what his role is going to be right i think he took number 17 which indicates for now he's going to be a receiver but we already knew that but at some point if he's playing playing tight end and h-back i wonder if he's going to have to change numbers at some point we talked about it after the draft that he's just a really intriguing athlete and is really good with the ball in his hands and just seeing all the different types of, you know, misdirection screens and short passes into, into space after play action that the 49ers used with George Kittle to get him so many yards last season. You could see the 49ers doing similar things with Jalen Hurd. And it's going to be interesting to see because like I said, he's working as a receiver he spent most of his time in Baylor in the slot. Uh, he's almost a foot taller than Trent Trent Taylor. Um, and he's just very different from every other receiver on the 49ers roster. And we haven't seen Kyle Shanahan really utilize an, an H-back uh, to, to maximum capacity yet, right? Like we've seen Kittle do some of it. We've seen Garrett Selleck do a little bit of it. Kyle Juszczyk's done a little bit of it. But this is a 6'5", 230-pound dude who moves like someone significantly smaller, but he has a background of an SEC running back. He was obviously a running back at Tennessee for three seasons before transferring to Baylor and just really good with the ball in his hands. But I think that the the storyline about his transfer from Baylor, um, I'm expecting some stuff to come out about that. I think it, it was a pretty controversial decision. I think he was at conflict with the coaches at Tennessee. He has not really been wanting to talk about it all that much. Um, you know, so for whatever reason, uh, when he's been pressed about it, he just hasn't really wanted to divulge what went into that. Just saying yep. to us like, hey, that was in the past. I don't really want to talk about that now. I'm I'm a 49er now and that type of thing. Yeah, and something didn't quite add up because I was reading a little bit about him and the noted reason for his transfer was that Alvin Kamara was going to take the starting running back job, but he transferred the year Alvin Kamara got drafted. So I'm unsure how that... 
So he wanted to he talked about it. He what he eventually wanted to switch to to receiver because he said it in a Bleacher Report article Prolonged that I linked career. in my story. I wrote, I wrote about them today. He said basically the NFL values wide receivers more, right? And the average lifespan of a running back in the NFL is about three and a half years. And receivers can obviously go a lot longer than that, particularly the good ones, right? So what he wanted to do was he wanted to, I mean, he wanted to be an outside running back, really. Uh, He wanted to be the player that Alvin Kamara was. And what Tennessee did, I think, is they used both of them and because Hurd was this 6'5", 240-pound guy, they used him between the tackles and in power and, and those type of things. Where And obviously, he had shoulder injuries. Um, he was, I, I think he said he had a concussion. Um, and so he, he wanted to be used outside. He wanted to be used in the passing game and, and put in position that, put in similar positions to the way that Tennessee used Alvin Kamara, right? And then... Uh, ten, the coaches just said no, and they decided, you know, we're not going to do that. And so they had an impasse, and he decided to to transfer to Baylor. And I think some people at Tennessee will tell you that he quit. I think some people in Hurd's camp or Hurd himself would tell you I was doing what I needed to do for myself. Um, and, you know, that I don't know if it's going to be a problem, but you have to remember that there were similar questions about Joe Williams, the, the running back out of Utah, in the in John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan's first draft class in 2017, a fourth round pick who we thought was going to be a at least the number two running back behind Carlos Hyde, but he ended up just not even ever playing a snap in the league. He came to camp out of shape. He was beat out by Matt Breida. Uh, he had an injury and then came back his second off season and really didn't do much and was cut and has been out of the league ever since. And there were questions about his commit, commitment to football after walking away from Utah uh, in the middle of his final season in a similar way that Jalen Hurd uh, left Tennessee. So I, I think there's going to be some negative stuff, some some stuff that's going to come to light that doesn't reflect well on, on Jalen Hurd. Uh, what I'm interested to see is how he responds, if he pushes back on it or if he just um, acknowledges it and, you know, says, this is what happened. I made a mistake. I was young, whatever, and moves forward and whether or not that's going to impact his career at all. Um, and how the 49ers view him, because I know the 49ers know what happened. Um, John Lynch talked about it. He said he was comfortable with everything that happened. He talked to Hurd about it. He talked to other people around Hurd. So, um, I think Hurd is a very intriguing talent. Uh, I think he might come with more off the field baggage than we all realized when the when the pick was made at first. And if Hurd doesn't end up panning out and it's another Joe Williams situation and we, you know, look at what the 49ers needed heading into the draft, particularly in the secondary, whether it be a cornerback or safety, and instead they go with this offensive weapon that they didn't really need, but Kyle Shanahan kind of wanted as like this shiny toy type thing. If it doesn't pan out, then it's going to reflect poorly on on maybe Kyle Shanahan's you know willingness to take chances on guys like that because he would be zero for two after Joe Williams and just the overall um, you know the dynamic of of uh, player evaluation and bringing the right guys in during the draft. Yeah, and the the bigger concern for me based on kind of what you're saying and based on the 
just kind of the background of the transfer from Tennessee to Baylor is if the 49ers try and line him up at outside receiver and he's not successful at it right away, how does he respond to that? And that's where I think the bigger concern for me is because if he made the switch and made the positional change in order to prolong an NFL career, you would think that you would think that he would want to come in and show that the switch was worth it, right? Like he's got something to prove there's a chip on his shoulder. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if the second things get hard, he's going to, there's, 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 there's something there that says, I want to switch positions. I want to go back to running back or I don't want to play outside receiver. I only want to play in the slot. That's, that's something that's a little worrisome. Yeah, so Hurd, I think, is probably the most interesting draft pick the 49ers have made just because, you know, like he honestly has star potential. Like if he if he develops into this pass catching tight end hybrid H back like receiver slot receiver type guy who could also be a like a goal line running back. Like that's a totally unique skill set that that there aren't a ton of NFL guys that have that, right? So maybe the fully maximized version of Jalen Hurd, like the ceiling is very high, but he's got to get there. And it's no guarantee that he's going to get there. But I think one thing that we learned today is he's very confident that he's going to get there. So we'll have to see. It's going to be interesting to to see how he's used and and um exactly you know, how he's deployed, because like we've said, we haven't seen anybody since Kyle Shanahan got to the 49ers with this kind of skill set. So um, let's see the the last two. We, we talked to Mitch Wisnowski. Um There was not a whole lot of new stuff coming out uh, of our conversations with him, although he did say he does feel the pressure of being uh, a punter drafted pretty highly. But he's also sort of like always naturally nervous when he punts. Um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. He, I think he said to somebody that uh, some of his best punts have come when he when he was the most nervous. So, <laughs> naturally nervous is the new working title of my autobiography. <laughs> that's, that's good. Um, and Tim Harris, the the sixth round pick, the cornerback from Virginia, uh, he is not the the most outspoken. Uh, he's a very quiet guy. Let's put it that way. But um, but I, I think he he could end up playing a role within the secondary because we saw it last year with, um, you know, Greg Maben started games and the 49ers rotated a lot at cornerback, whether it be through poor player injuries. And if if Greg Maben's getting starts, then I think somebody like Tim Harris could definitely eventually um, you know, carve out a role to where he's on the field in, in meaningful situations. So we'll have to see about that. I know the the pro football focus people really like him and think he could have been a third or fourth round pick, if not for the injuries in uh, 2016 and 2017 that led to medical redshirt seasons at Virginia. So that's sort of what we learned uh, today from our first interactions in person with uh, with a number of these rookies. Um, Kyle, you wrote a piece today. You created some content. Was it today? It's my, it's my job. Yesterday. Yesterday. So you, you went through and, and looked at all the draft picks and gave gave your take on like the chances that they're going to end up starting. Yeah, and what I mean by starting is not week one, they're the starter. I mean, when we look back at the end of the season, it's like that guy was the starter. Does that make sense? 
Yeah. Like I would, I would look back last year and say Akella Witherspoon was the starting cornerback opposite Richard Sherman. Although they went through several players at that position. I think Witherspoon got the most snaps of anybody opposite sure. Sherman at corner last year. I think that's so. That's fair. that. That's what I mean by starter, and and you'll see, especially when we get to the linebacker spot with the injury to Quan Alexander, why that specification is is necessary, and I think with the with the wide receivers too. Uh, so I guess we'll just start at the top with Nick Bosa and just kind of go in order of draft pick here. Nick Bosa. I have it a 99.9% chance to be the starting Leo for the 49ers. Yeah, totally agree. I think he's a three down player. Uh, I think I had a conversation with Matt Barrows today of the athletic who, who has written a, a few different times that he thinks Bosa is going to end up being the big end in base and D Ford's going to be the Leo. And mm-hmm. um, I disagree with him. I think Bosa is going to be the Leo because in base, it's really all about run defense essentially. Uh, the reason why Solomon Thomas was the has been the Leo in those base situations these last couple of years has been because what he does against the run, he's good against the run, even outside. Um, and Eric Armstead has been the big end. I think Eric Armstead is still going to be the big end. And I think it's going to be Nick Bosa's Leo in base. And then D Ford's going to come in in sub packages. And then obviously it's going to be Bosa and Ford at, at defensive end with DeForest Buckner and Armstead and Solomon Thomas rotating on the inside so yeah nick bosa number two overall pick best defensive player in the draft um yeah probably gonna start (laughs) yeah i have a hard time believing he's not the starter (laughs) yeah so if he is if he is it's an abject disaster for the 49ers or if he is not right well if he's not starting he's hurt right i i think that's that's, i think that's the case i think we already know that he's he's good enough i mean is so okay let's let's put it this way is nick bosa the 49ers most talented player probably probably yeah i think i if he's uh, yeah not, if he's not he if he's not he's up there right and he's not their most valuable player right now that's still jimmy garoppolo but is he their most talented like the list goes him buckner staley um you include I mean, sherman that's tough. I need to go back and think about that. But I would say, yeah, I mean, he's he's got to be. I mean, he's their most highly drafted player. Sure. Yeah. So um, Bosa, Bosa needs to start. That's the bottom line there. Yeah, he's going to start if All he's right. healthy. Second round pick, Debo Samuel. Receivers are a little bit interesting because. Obviously, formations change and whatnot, but I imagine Debo will be on the field for a lot of snaps this year on offense. I have him at a 94% chance to be the starting Z receiver for the Niners. 94. Wow. Okay. So I went, I went 85. Okay. Um, you know, I'm just not sure. Like sometimes with receivers, I mean, there's a chemistry thing. There's a route running thing. I also think not that it's really a concern, but I think Debo Samuel needs to, needs to get in better shape. Um, okay. I, I don't know how to sugarcoat that. Like, a lot of people talk about how thick and strong he is. I think some of that weight could be, could be, uh, I think he could be a little bit leaner. Let me put it that way. Um, and I think he probably will be. I can't imagine, you know, his first, his first offseason program. Like, I think he's a hard worker. I don't think there are, there are any questions about his habits or things like that. I just think he needs to, to change his body a little bit. 
um, for the NFL. I'm going through the snap counts last year. Uh, the, the Niners didn't get many snaps from receivers. Like a lot of these dudes were hurt. And I mean, Kendrick Bourne led, led the team or led the receivers in snaps last year with 605. That was 57% of the offensive snaps. Jeez. So Marquise Goodwin paid, played 41% of the snaps. Pierre Garçon played 36% of the snaps. Dante Pettis played 43% of the snaps. Um, <laughs> Trent Taylor, man, 321%. Hopefully his back is better. 321%. Sorry, 321 snaps, 30.37%. Uh, it's late at night, man. I know, I got um, it. <laughs> yeah, so the, the Niners could really use a receiver to play like... 70% of the snaps. And I definitely think somebody like Debo Samuel could if he stays healthy, but he also has hamstring and he had hamstring issues. Sure. And I think he missed significant time in college with an ankle injury at one point too. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. I, I went 85%. I think he should beat out Kendrick Bourne, but, um, but I think Bourne is going to put up a fight uh, just because I, I, it'll be his third year in the system. Um, he's kind of a, a veteran at this point, And he's really the only competition that that Samuel's going to have aside from um, aside from Matthews. And we have no idea. I, I It's hard to say really where Matthews stands at this point. I think he's um, I mean, he signed a minimal one year deal. So I, I kind of see him as sort of an injury insurance policy. Somebody you signed before the draft to 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 maybe make it so you're not projecting who exactly you're going to pick and where your holes are and things like that. But um, yeah, I go 85% for Debo. Going to be an interesting group this year. Another player we can add to that group is third round pick Jalen Hurd. We talked a little bit about Hurd at the beginning of the podcast and what he's going to provide in terms of versatility. That makes it very hard for me anyway to pin down an exact percentage because we don't know specifically what position he's going to play. I put him down at 20% though, because I don't think he's going to start necessarily at any one position. Does that, does that make sense? I think he'll play plenty of snaps, but I don't think he's going to be like a starting receiver, a starting tight end. Right. So George Kittle played, 88% 88% of the snaps, 929 for the year. He played all 16 games. Um, I would expect if he's healthy to play at a similar clip next year. Garrett Selleck played 26% of the snaps, 277. So if you're looking at at Jalen Hurd in, in that tight end role, I think ideally you're probably thinking like his rookie year 400 snaps, something like that. And... I mean, that would be a lot. That would be more than uh, that would be almost the same amount that Marquise Goodwin played last year. I mean, Dante Pettis played 452. Um, I think 400 snaps is is probably realistic. Uh, and I mean, whether or not he starts, I think that's going to depend on, you know, what personnel packages the 49ers open the game with. Right. But yeah, just in terms of him starting, you know, more than half the games, I would say that's like a 30 percent proposition um but yeah i think for 400 snaps would probably be a reasonable expectation for him as a rookie assuming he acclimates well and assuming he they carve out the right role for him and and everything sort of fits yeah and if he winds up playing somewhere closer to five or six hundred 
I think if uh, if somebody came from the future and said, hey, Jalen Hurd plays 680 snaps his rookie year, I think that bodes very well for San Francisco. Yeah, I that think would... that means they found more ways for him to be successful versus him needing to play out of necessity. Yeah, and he might be a specialty player like they use him in the red zone uh, almost exclusively. Or like short yardage, like there he's gonna get short yardage carries. Kyle Shanahan wasn't shy about talking about how he like how intrigued he is by the fact that he can line up in the backfield and take carries. Well, that's something we talked about. I don't want to dive too deep on this, but that's something we talked about with the Niners running back group is they don't have that like big bruising back when hey, they need a yard, can they stuff it up the middle? It's kind of Kyle use check. So I think having a guy right. like Hurd is is pretty advantageous there. Right. Um, future NFL MVP, Mitch Wisnowski. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the starting punter. 100%. I've met 99.9 because, you know, injuries happen and stuff, but yeah, 100%. Okay. He's the starter. Uh, Dre Greenlaw. The, this is where it gets uh, interesting. The good, the good Samaritan of the year. Um, I mean, there's a chance he's the, the third best inside linebacker on the team right now. And with Quan Alexander hurt, like it's not totally insane to say that he could be the the week one starter. Yes. And I have him. So if we're talking week one starter, I have him closer to probably 40 or 45%. Yeah, I wrote down 40. That means he beats out Elijah Lee, which I like Lee, but you mentioned Greenlaw's speed. And I've been watching him since he got drafted. And he plays so much faster than his 40 time. And I think that's going to, that will show in training camp. And if he is that fast and that effective, especially in coverage, I don't see why he can't beat out a player like Lee, who's a solid player, solid backup player who can start in a pinch. But if Greenlaw is that fast, that athletic and that good in coverage, I can absolutely see him winning a starting job. I don't, however, see him continuing to start once Quan Alexander gets back. And for that reason, I no. have him at 18%. No. Yeah. So Quan Alexander tore his ACL last October. I think I want to say it was October 15th against the Browns. 22nd, um, I think 22nd. I was a week off. Um. So. I mean, is it, is it crazy for Quan Alexander? We have no idea. No, nobody has said anything about, Quan Alexander's time frame for his return. So I think it's it's fair to say he's he's iffy for the start of training camp. Um, you know, I I think I think Pup is a real is a real strong possibility just to make sure you're not bringing him back too soon. And if you have somebody you like, like Greenlaw or Elijah Lee or Malcolm Smith, um, or David Mayo, I guess, uh. I mean, I don't know that the 49ers should feel rushed to to bring him back. I think I, I put it I put it at 40%. Like I think as a fifth round pick, you know, you look at Malcolm Smith. I know the 49ers brought him in initially to be their will linebacker, but that was two years ago. And we really haven't seen him play that. The the 49ers moved Malcolm Smith mostly to Sam last year. And honestly, we don't really know if Malcolm Smith even is even going to make the team. Um, so if he doesn't, and Elijah Lee and Dre Greenlaw, your backup linebackers behind Quan Alexander and David Mayo too. Um, yeah, there's a real chance he's starting week one. 
I want it on the record that I do not have Malcolm Smith on my initial 53-man roster. You can read that at NinersWire.com. Boom. <laughs> fire emoji, siren, fire emoji. <laughs> Moving on um, to... Were, were we done with Drew Greenlaw? Yeah, we're done. Okay, Caden Smith. And again, this is interesting because of all the two tight end sets the Niners use. Caden Smith's mm-hmm. not 0% chance he overtakes George Kittle. No, barring injury. Yeah, barring injury. Yeah. But never say never, but barring injury, it would take. So I have this as the percent chance he takes the second tight end job. Okay. I actually have that. It's 67%. Wow. I'm beating out Garrett Selleck. I think Caden Smith might be really good. Okay. And I could be I could be proven wrong this week at rookie minicamp, and it's like, man, that guy just can't move. But based on what I've read and and the little bit I've seen, I think he might be a legitimately good player. And maybe not week one, but it would not surprise me if he winds up out snapping Garrett Selleck by by a decent amount this year. Yeah, so there are a couple things that could happen. He could ju- the 49ers could just decide that we're gonna give Caden Smith Garrett Selleck's role. Um, but then, you know, maybe you're thinking about uh, Ross Dwelly as your number three tight end. Um, and maybe that's something the 49ers consider. I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're, I think Selleck is going to end up playing the last year of his contract. He knows the offense. He's a good blocker. He's, he's definitely a, an important guy in the locker room. Right. Um, he's basically everybody's best friend, like Kyle Juszczyk, uh, George Kittle, like all those dudes, like they're all super close. Um, and I think that that has value to, to the locker room. So I think, I think Caden Smith is going to be the number three tight end, but yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up out snapping Selleck maybe late in the season, because I think he is a more dynamic pass catcher, even if he did run one of the slowest times we've ever seen from a tight end. Four nine two was like what I almost ran in high school. <laughs> Yeah, but his, like, his and I'm game not fast. speed is I good, was dude. never fast. Yeah, but his game speed is good. Sure. And he's a better <laughs> yeah, I never I mean I never played football, full disclosure. I was a baseball guy. Um so okay, I put Kane Smith at fifteen percent. Because like you said, maybe they open in twelve personnel and maybe he's the guy. Okay. That's fair. I have him at sixty seven. You have him at fifteen, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Justin School. Uh, offensive tackle, one percent, and probably less than that. Like Mike McGlinchey and Joe Staley are going to be the starters. His yeah. chances to be the swing tackle are a little bit higher than that, but he's not starting. Yeah, I mean it would take an injury, multiple. Um, and Mike McGlinchey has been an Iron Man throughout his entire NFL life. He said he hasn't missed a game going back to uh, like Pop Warner or whatever the the youth league in Pennsylvania that he played in is called. Um, so yeah, McGlinchey's not going to be hurt. Joe Staley, pretty durable. Uh, I think it would, you know, I mean, he's going to be 35. So there's a chance school is get, get some playing time. I mean, he started his last 40 games, 40 straight games in the sec against a lot of top competition and played pretty well. Um, and the 49ers think he he's a good athlete and he has a really good mindset and all those things. Uh, I put it at 5%. I think, I mean, I think there's a very good chance he beats out Sean Coleman to be the swing tackle. And if he's a swing tackle and there's an injury, then he's a starter. So, okay. Yeah. It wouldn't be crazy. Okay. That's fair. Would not be crazy. 
Tim Harris. I had my Virginia. I had my scorching hot Tim Harris take in our group text the other day. <laughs> you did. You thought it was way hotter than it actually was. Right. I gave him. I didn't mean to shoot you down. No, I like. I, I felt was, kind I was of bad. High on my hot take. My hot take wagon, and you just you just came in and cut my legs out from under me, and it's fine. You know, you live and learn. I just came in with a fire extinguisher. You did it was brutal. Just but, right away. You know, I recovered, and now we're doing a podcast, and I'm trying to hide my pain. So why don't you? What's your hot take? I think Tim Harris might tell the world. I think Tim Harris might win the starting quarterback job out of camp. Hey, <laughs> folks! If you need to pause the podcast and cool your device down, please do so now. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's not crazy. I haven't. Uh, I haven't. I, I admittedly, I haven't seen him play at all, so I don't know yet. But he fits the scheme, and like I said, a lot of people think he was he was a lot more productive than a six round pick should have been. It was just his having two medical redshirt seasons um, really cost him in, in terms of where he got drafted. But yeah, I mean, I I don't think it's crazy. We haven't seen enough from Mikel Witherspoon and Tavarius Moore and Greg Maben to to be comfortable that, you know, to pencil those guys in as, as surefire starters. Like, I think Harris is going to come in with, with lots of opportunities. And like I said, Maben started a game last year. So it's definitely not crazy that Harris gets gets starts at some point. Um, I, on the other hand, I think there's a 10% chance that he's a starter week one barring injury. Just because I I think it's got to click with either Witherspoon or Moore this offseason. Right. And Witherspoon, I want to talk. I have Tim Harris at 38%. 38. That's where I've, got, that's where I've got 38% exactly. Don't you try and sell me on 37% because I'm not buying and 39 was a little too aggressive. Right, too high. Like, we need to be reasonable okay. here. <laughs> okay. But the, the with Akello Witherspoon, it's basically, it's going to be Verrett, who has been unable to stay healthy in... Oh, we didn't talk about Verrett. five NFL seasons. But if he's healthy, right. I think he wins the job. He's he's the best corner on the roster when he's healthy. Yeah, I completely spaced on, on Jason Verrett just now. But yeah, you're right. So, that means Akello Witherspoon and Tavarius Moore, if... If it's between Moore, Witherspoon, and Harris, like it's not crazy to me that Harris would be the best of those three. On the other hand, no. on the other hand, Akello Witherspoon had a had a, had a good rookie year, and he struggled out of the gate last year, but he was playing very well before he got hurt, and it looked like he was getting back to that rookie season form and kind of getting back on the arc that he looked like he was on. So. I think if I'm putting money down, I think Akello Witherspoon wins the job out of camp and probably keeps it all year and has a much better year this year than he did through the first half of last year. But on the other hand, I'm not going to totally rule out the idea that a player like Harris steps in and takes the job. Yeah, I'm I'm really curious to see what happens with the secondary this year. I talked to somebody recently and and you know, going from uh, Jeff Halfley, who's now the, the co-defensive coordinator at uh, Ohio State, going to Joe Woods, who used to be the defensive coordinator for the Broncos these last few years, there's not going to be a whole lot of changing. They're not going to drastically shift from their cover three centric stuff that they do. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's really going to be interesting how the cornerback group shapes out. I think we know who the guys are going to be. It's going to be Sherman, if everyone's healthy. It's going to be Sherman, Verrett, Witherspoon, Moore, and Harris. I think those are going to be your five corners, not including the slot guys and the safeties. Um, but, 
you know, how how is this thing going to evolve? Like the Niners are going to have to play against the Arizona Cardinals under Cliff Kingsbury, who are going to have four receivers out there a lot of the time. Um, you know, it, I'm, I'm just very curious to see what adjustments they make and if they're going to be able to um, do, be play better and force more turnovers than they did last year. And I know the pass rush is going to be a big part of that, but we can talk about that later. Um, I think that's that's about it, right? I think so. That's all. That's all the draft picks, and I think we hit the important notes from from your day at the office today. <laughs> it was a long day today. Um, so tomorrow we will uh, we will get to see the rookies in action on the practice field for the first time. So keep it locked to social media because we'll see Nick Bosa in that shiny gold helmet and number ninety seven jersey in red, in a forty nine er red, not Ohio State red for the first time. Um, hey, everybody, do us a favor. Uh, give us some ratings. Give us some reviews on iTunes. That's always helpful. Um, I think last time I checked, we were, we, we were solid five stars, which is always awesome. But more reviews are, are better for us. Right. Um, the, the people who reach out to us on Twitter is awesome. We appreciate the heck out of that because I know I can't validate myself personally. So getting validation from other people is really tremendous for me. But if you could jump on, <laughs> if you could jump onto iTunes and just drop a five star rating on us, that uh, that helps us immensely. Yeah, and um, yeah, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. We are on iTunes, we're on Spotify, we're on Stitcher, uh, and yeah, it was. Uh, I hope you have a good weekend. Did it? Where are you going? Going down to Arizona. Did I'm going to just... visit visit my friends down. In the God Queen again? Creek Were you area. just there? I was there for I was there for work. Okay. I didn't really see any of my friends. So fair enough. I don't go to the waste um, management. It's gonna be open warm. And hang out on the sixteenth with with my buddies like you do. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Um, yeah, it's gonna be warm. Yeah, so I can't wait. I don't have. I, bring I don't your, own, bring your tank. I don't own shorts, but dude, you can bet I'm going sleeveless the whole time. Uh, well with that we'll wrap this thing up thanks everybody for listening and we'll talk to you guys next week Headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com